Section 27 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 7, by Charles F. Horn, Rossiter Johnson, and John Rudd. The Swiss Win Their Independence, Battle of Sempach, A.D. 1386-1839, by F. Grenfell Baker. For two generations after the victory of the Swiss over the Austrians at Morgarten, 1315, which was followed by the renewal of the Swiss Confederation of 1291, the leagued cantons were favored with growth and internal development. To the original cantons, Uri, Schweiz, and Unterwalden, were added, 1332-1353, Lucerne, Zurich, Glarus, Zug, and Bern. The confederation acknowledged no superior but the Emperor of Germany. In 1375 there was an eruption into Switzerland of a horde of irregular soldiers under Enguerrand de Courcy, son-in-law of Edward III of England. The mother of de Courcy was a daughter of Leopold I, Duke of Austria, and through her de Courcy claimed several Swiss towns. As the present Austrian duke, Leopold II, who held nominal suzerainty over Switzerland, refused to give them up, de Courcy invaded Swiss territory with a large force and a fury which at first threw the country into panic. But at last the Swiss recovered their old spirit of bravery, and in many severe encounters they either killed or chased out of the country the whole ruthless host of invaders. This war is known in Swiss chronicles as the Guglerkrieg, either from the pointed spikes on the helmets of the Swiss soldiers, or from the cowls which many of them wore. It is also called the English War, although de Courcy's men were nearly all from the continent and Wales. The Swiss soon had need of their old military prowess, which this defense of their country against foreign invaders had freshly put to the proof. By the victory of Sempach, July 9, 1386, their independence was practically won, and by later acts of valor and statesmanship, they made it secure for many years. Austria's conduct soon began once more to disturb the Swiss, and to threaten a renewal of hostilities, her first act of importance was the conquest of the Tyrol, after which, under pretense of benefiting the pilgrims to Einsiedeln, but in reality to separate Glarus from Zurich, she built a bridge across the lake at Rapperschwil. The possession of this bridge by Austria acted as a perpetual hindrance to Zurich's trade with the south, and was accordingly greatly resented by the city. Austria's position as ruler in so many burgs that, from their situation, and the nationality of their inhabitants were essentially Swiss, also acted as a never-ending source of trouble. Her rule was both harsh and unjust, and as a result, her local governors were extremely unpopular. In 1386, the anti-Austrian feeling in Switzerland had grown to such a pitch that popular outbreaks against her authority were, in many centers, of frequent occurrence, and war appeared inevitable. From Lucerne came the final troubles that precipitated the country again into a conflict with Austria. Previous to the actual declaration of war, constant collisions in the neighborhood of Lucerne had for some time past taken place, with all the horrors and savagery of war. In 1385, a body of men from Lucerne attacked and demolished the castle town of Rotenburg, 
the residence of an Austrian bailey. Next, both Entlebuch and Sempach, at the instigation of Lucerne, revolted against her Austrian rulers, expelled the baileys, and entered into alliances with the city. Lucerne herself commenced extending her territories by the purchase of Vigus, and contrary to her treaty stipulations, admitted a number of Austrian subjects into the privileges of citizenship. Austria retaliated by attacking Rickensee, a small Lucerne town containing a garrison of some two hundred soldiers. This she carried by assault and destroyed, massacring the inhabitants of all ages and of both sexes. Other reprisals on both sides followed in quick succession, in which immense numbers of victims perished. Soon both the Duke, Leopold II, and the Confederates were fully prepared, and the former took the field with a large army. After menacing Zurich, the Duke, accompanied by many nobles from Germany, France, and North Italy, headed some six thousand picked men, and marched upon Lucerne. On his way he burned Villasau and several smaller towns, where his troops committed every form of excess. On July ninth, a portion of his forces appeared before the walls of Sempach, while another division menaced Zurich. At Sempach the Confederates mustered to the help of Lucerne, but were only able to bring about sixteen hundred men, taken chiefly from the forest states. In spite of their disparity in numbers, the Confederates determined to risk an encounter. The decisive and brilliant battle of Sempach, the second of the long roll of victories that marked the prowess of the Swiss, is thus described by an old writer. The Swiss order of battle was angular, one soldier followed by two, these by four, and so on. The Swiss were all on foot, badly armed, having only their long swords and their halberds, and boards on their left arms with which to parry the blows of their adversaries. And they could at first make no impression on the close ranks of the Austrians, all bristling with spears. But Anthony Zerpot of Uri cried to his men to strike with their halberds on the shafts of the spears, which he knew were made hollow to render them lighter, and at the same time Arnold von Winkelried, a knight from Unterwalden, devoting himself for his country, cried out, "'I'll open a way for you, Confederates!' and seizing as many spears as he could grasp in his arms, dragged them down with his whole weight and strength upon his own bosom, and thus made an opening for his countrymen to penetrate the Austrian ranks. This act of heroism decided the victory. The Swiss rushed into the gap made by Winkelried, and having now come to close quarters with their enemies, their bodily strength and the lightness of their equipment gave them a great advantage over the heavily armed Austrians, who were already fainting under the heat of a July sun. The very closeness of the array of the Austrian men-at-arms rendered them incapable either of advancing or falling back, and the grooms who held their horses having taken flight, panic seized them. They broke their ranks, and were hewed down by the Swiss halberds in frightful numbers. Duke Leopold was urged by those around him to save his life, but he scorned the advice, and seeing the banner of Austria in danger, rushed to save it, and was killed in the attempt. The rout then became general, but the Swiss had the humanity, or the policy, not to pursue their enemies, of whom otherwise not one, perhaps, would have escaped. The loss of the Austrians amounted to two thousand men, including six hundred and seventy-six noblemen, three hundred and fifty of whom wore coroneted helmets. Most of them were buried at Königsfelden with their leader Leopold. The Swiss lost two hundred men in this memorable battle, the second in which they had defeated a Duke of Austria at the head of his chivalry. 
After Sempach, the men of Glarus set about making themselves a free people. One of their first acts was the capture of Vesen and the expulsion of its Austrian soldiers. This was followed by a truce, which lasted till 1388, when Leopold's sons recommenced the war with fresh fury. Vesen was recaptured by the omission of a number of soldiers in disguise, who opened the gates to their comrades without and massacred all the chief Swiss leaders. Some months later, the men of Glarus infected a severe defeat on the Austrians at the little town of Neufels within their state. In this important combat, 350 men of Glarus, together with 50 from Schweiz, posted themselves on the heights above the town, and as the Austrians advanced, suddenly hurled down masses of stones that soon caused a panic. Then, following the successful tactics employed at Morgarten, the Swiss rushed down on the disordered mass, said to consist of 15,000 soldiers, but probably about half that number, and dealt death on every side. A precipitate flight of the invaders followed, but they were met near Vesen by a fresh body of 700 Glarus peasants who completed the victory. Though Bern took no part in the Battle of Sempach, after that victory she entered actively into the war, and overran the Austrian dependencies in Freiburg and Wallengrin. She drove the Duke's followers out of Rapperschville, annexed Niedau and Bueren, and conquered the Upper Simenthal. At length, both sides being weary of war and carnage, a peace was signed for seven years in 1389, with the condition that Bern should restore Niedau and Bueren. This peace was in 1394, further prolonged for twenty years. These treaties brought great benefits to Switzerland in many ways. Glarus and Zug obtained their formal freedom from Austrian rule in payment of a moderate sum of money. Schweiz received the town and abbey of Einsiedeln, 1397. Lucerne purchased Sempach and Entlebuch from the duke, as also other towns. But chief of all, the political power of the Habsburgs came to an end in Switzerland. An important feature of this period was the lessened influence of the Emperor of Germany in Swiss affairs, and the gradual withdrawal of the Swiss from the position they so long occupied as subject vassals of the empire. This was especially seen toward the close of the 14th century, when the emperor, being pressed for money, sold his rights over several important Swiss districts to their inhabitants, and thus forfeited all authority over them. But chief of all the memorable events of this time was the close it brought to the long and bloody struggle between Austria and Switzerland. At length, the heroism and preserving patriotism of the Swiss affected the liberation of their country from Austrian rule, and henceforth, the dukes ceased to attempt to enforce their claims, and tacitly acknowledged their defeat. The Swiss states from this period, moreover, began to be known not as an unimportant portion of the German Empire, but as a separate country, die Schweiz, from the prominent part taken by Schweiz in initiating the freedom of the land. End of section 27